we're, we're adjusting either load or tempo or exercise complexity to make those exercises accessible. And we're teaching really great biomechanics to the athlete in the gym for these exercises. And we're translating that to very specific firefighting tasks so that when they're on the drill ground or in emergency response, they're remembering how to do those uh, movement patterns safely. Welcome to a podcast dedicated toward the distribution of evidence-based application of research, information, and training methods to assist the wellness initiative of the fire and rescue community. I'm your host, Hussein Jabai, and this is RIT Team Radio. Welcome to episode five of RIT Team Radio, where I'm joined here again by Ryan Provencher of Firefighter Peak Performance, where we're going to talk about exercise selection, building your arsenal, looking at and kind of diving into how do we choose our type of exercise, uh, not just the the individual exercise or the individual tasks themselves, but the type of activities. Um, so first and foremost, welcome, uh, Ryan, back to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to talk with you again. And now we get to uh, pretty much expand on it. They're going to be, these are going to be continuous discussions, right? We bring up multiple, especially when we uh, talk about concepts that have so many moving pieces that we're trying to follow up with a more tangible segment, something you can immediately practice after listening to this podcast. Um, So as we dive into exercise selection, I want to first look at types of activities, kind of break down. So think big picture and then break into segments. So Ryan, if you can divide out what activity or define activity in itself, how do we look at the different pieces or the different types of activities that individuals can perform? Yeah. So I think that starts and and you and I kind of talked about this whole idea of of firefighters as athletes. And again, that resonates with me for so many reasons, but uh, not the least of which is it helps us to look at activities and it helps us to more uh, specifically define what's important for firefighters. So uh, for me, it starts with physical attributes. So if you if you look at a wide receiver on a football team, for example, you know, speed is important. Uh, uh, anaerobic uh, conditioning is important. You, you start to, to look at attributes that are important for the athlete, and then you can transfer that over to the different types of activities, right? So when we look at firefighters, certainly strength, power, conditioning, endurance, those are all things that are important to us as firefighters where speed uh, maybe isn't so much an attribute that's important for us. So uh, when we when we talk about activities, uh, we can talk about aerobic exercise and there's all sorts of different ways to achieve that, walking, jogging, cycling, swimming, things like that. And then uh, strength and conditioning, we've got different uh, ways of, of adding load or lifting weights. So uh, there's just so much that we can look at in support of developing attributes for firefighters on a broad scale to build a foundation. And then you really get into getting more specific depending on the target demographic. And I, I like how you mentioned both aerobic conditioning and then strength and conditioning or resistance training and trying to uh, illustrate that they're multiple categories they're separate categories right aerobic conditioning looking at resistance training and even 
flexibility and, and mobility tasks and, and improving those different metrics and attributes, if you will. And yep. de depending on the nature of the profession, some are not saying uh, others aren't as important, but some correlate or have a better carryover to certain tasks, right? And there might be, and you can allude to some of the tasks that might require more strength versus aerobic or more low intensity for long periods of time. And there are some tasks that are just very uh, slow in nature or steady, more at a lower intensity in your performance for, for a given period of time. So uh, I like how you alluded to different uh, categories from more of a broad perspective, talking about attributes. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, for firefighters, there's so much that is important. You you can't necessarily say that power is the most important or conditioning is the most important or mobility is the most important because they all are important pieces to having a well-rounded firefighter that's going to be resilient through their career. And when I say resilient, I'm talking about in you know avoiding injury to the best of our ability and then also performing at a high level and and staying healthy through a career. So um yeah. And then, and then, so we talk about attributes and then now we can start to unpack, well, what kind of work do we do as firefighters? And I've really been drawn over the years to, to what I would describe as varied intensity interval training, because you can use these different intervals to really mimic the work that we do as firefighters. And if you consider that the average on air time for a firefighter doing strenuous work is about 20 minutes. So any interval of work that a firefighter might do, let's just say is approximately 20 minutes. And in that interval, you might be doing really high power, uh, very high intensity work for a very short amount of time, something like forcing a door, for example. Um, or you might be doing something that is more moderate intensity drawn out over a longer period of time, maybe if you're engaged in an overhaul or something like that after the fire has been put out. So when we're when we're looking at our programming, we really have to consider all of that in in the scope and scale of the type of exercise that we do and how we program it. Um, all of that comes into play. So uh, and just to even put a bold phrase to that, right, like based on our job based on the outcome we want to receive the adaptation that we hope to result from our training is going to dictate what we do in our training session right everything you do hopefully has a purpose that's that's in an ideal world right um if you're throwing something into a training setting if you are incorporating anything whether it's at the gym the station doesn't matter where you're at and you can use various pieces of equipment, it has, it, it needs to have a purpose. And, and we do need to consider one, make sure you cover the aspect of uh, improving attributes for the profession. So attributes that carry over to the profession, but then individuals have their own goals as well. It's not saying, Hey, if you want to improve for, you want to go run uh, a 5k or do a marathon, or uh, you want to compete in some kind of uh, specific sporting event, it doesn't mean just throw that goal away. Just make sure your training in itself also covers uh, improvements and adaptations that are going to assist on the fire ground and for your profession. Yeah, we talked about that in our last uh, podcast, the whole idea of intentional training. And to me, that starts with, if you take a big step back and you look at the goals, whether as you've said, it's attributes, 
Maybe there's aesthetic goals or body competition goals or other recreational performance goals. All of those are important to the individual. And we can factor all of those into what the intentional physical training program looks like over a period of time. And so the way I like to approach that is let's just say we've got a 12 week program and we've got uh, we're, what we'll describe as high intensity, moderate intensity, low intensity, no intensity. Those are very general descriptions about a training day. And then you map out just that much over a period of 12 weeks, depending on is someone on shift or are they in admin or are they in recruit academy? All of those factors impact how often we're doing high intensity training in the gym, for example. So, so that's an important piece. And once you've kind of mapped that out over a very, um, in a general sense, over a period of time, now, again, you can start getting more specific in the programming based on the goals of the individual. And just going off of that, I want you to kind of reflect on your own experiences yeah. um, and then swapping back over to uh, more shift work and, and kind of what your approach will look like as, as time goes on is how have you seen, because everything looks great. As you mentioned, let's say we've mapped out, let's say personnel that are listening that have mapped out 12 weeks, um, let's say they, they've gone a, above and beyond and mapped out, you know, more than that. Let's, let's just say that. What does daily modification look like, daily regulation? And what I mean by that is some days are, are good, some days are better, and some days not so much, just from how we're feeling and our self-perceived, how we feel like we've recovered, depending on the day, if you're training later in the day, and, and this is where I want you to give your two cents and how you've kind of adjusted your, your training and so forth is you might've wanted to train in the morning, but then, right, the, the, the tone goes off and you, ha you have to do what you need to do. And then tr you're training in the evening whenever you can. Training intensity probably won't be the same than what you anticipated that morning. So kind of reflect on and, and share how you've made daily adjustments with your training. Yeah, and I'll just give you, it's, it's timely because I'm literally just making the, this adjustment right now over the past few weeks. Uh, I was uh, the training division chief in my organization for 10 years and uh, I slept every night, I worked out in the morning, like it was very structured and, and I didn't have to worry about going on calls, I wasn't working shift work and my entire training plan was mapped out over a typical seven day work week. And I could count on that. I could rely on that. Uh, there wasn't a lot that really impacted or created a need to make adjustments as long as I was sleeping and eating properly, all that good stuff. And now over the last few weeks, now I'm just getting back into operations. I'm on shift work and our shift in our department is uh, one on, two off, one on, four off. And so what I've done uh, in terms of my programming now is that ends up being that one and two and then uh, one and four. That's about an eight day cycle instead of a traditional seven day work week. So uh, morning of my shift, I get up before shift, just do real light kind of jump mobility. And then I plan a, an active recovery day that following day. And or if it's the two day, that's where I'll plug in my moderate intensity strength training. And so all to say that instead of really committing to and relying on an admin schedule seven days a week, now I know I'm on shift, I'm proactively planning recovery around my shift work, and I'm strategically popping in moderate intensity strength training, 
high intensity metabolic conditioning so that it never competes with my response readiness. Yeah. And, and that's, like I said, we, we tend to write stuff out and say, it has to happen that way, right? Everything looks great on paper. And, and usually in the beginning, even if, so I can only imagine within, within the, the task force world, within the fire and rescue service, how that has an impact on job performance. But even if just, just general population, you write something out on paper, your, your day-to-day looks different. And so it's very hard to say, I'm always, especially if you use percentages with, uh, of one rep max, that's a whole nother world, right? And so if you, you base it off of that and depending on your day, it might not go the same and it's okay. Some, I, and I know you can, in the beginning, and I know you could probably attest to this too, most of us in the beginning, if you, even if you didn't feel hundred percent, you were still driven to hit those same numbers that you wrote on the paper or that was on the spreadsheet and it's going to be okay. You're, you need to make those modifications. You need to do what's best for that day, that recovery setting, knowing that earlier in the day that there was plenty of stress and strain that was introduced. But like you mentioned, you need to make sure the rest of the day you were still operational and, and, and call ready. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I'll share over the last couple of years, I've been wearing an aura ring and holy smoke. I wish I would have had that as a young firefighter. I would have made so many different decisions around all sorts of lifestyle choices and certainly around sleep. So um, that's just been a great tool. And to have an objective number around readiness each day and to, and to be willing to, to, as you've mentioned, make some adjustments in the plan. And that's the other great thing about having a training plan and a more intentional approach is, yes, that provides structure for progression in your, in your training, but it also provides flexibility. If you need to make an adjustment on any given day, no problem. You just make the adjustment and then you pick up where you left off once your body's ready for that. And I know we haven't really touched on this because this is diving more into the programming side, but um, my thought process, if you can train more fantastic, but at a bare minimum, if you can get in a couple of sessions in a week of full body training, that's, that's I a hundred percent believe if you can expand beyond that fantastic. If you want to dive into different training splits that's amazing too but i guess give your thought process i know we haven't talked about this yet but i i I have an idea of where you'll go with this is kind of mention training i or programming ideology of training splits and then what happens if you miss one session or what happens if you have you know high call load in the morning and you go hey i'm supposed to hit let's for instance legs this evening and then oh no we'll have to train tomorrow well tomorrow's chest so i need to do i missed legs but i need to do chest and and kind of and that's just one example right but kind of talk about training split or or your thought from a very simplistic approach just your thought process yeah and so one one if we really look at this from a, a simplistic point of view to me there's three categories of training one is traditional strength training and that comes back to body parts maybe even more of a bodybuilding approach the the second is functional fitness and the the first my first first exposure to that was uh, mark verstegen and what he put out in his book core performance this was 20 years ago and you're seeing a lot more of a stability challenge you're seeing more uh, movement patterns versus body parts and so 
functional fitness. And then the third piece is tactical fitness. And that's where you're really using interval training, simple tools, movement patterns. And so if we come back to that whole idea of attributes and we, and we know just very generally speaking that mobility, flexibility, all fall into a recovery category and we're building recovery in each and every week. And we, we do not compromise that. That's the highest priority because our occupational demand is so high. And then we look at moderate, uh, moderate days where where you're working on strength and and again we could talk about pushing movement patterns pulling squat hinge all these things that we know make up a comprehensive strength training program and then last but not least would be metabolic conditioning high intensity interval training things of that nature so if we're looking at a typical week of programming and 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 we're talking about total training load where you know, did I really get crushed on a fire at work? That that means I really need to stay focused on the 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 flexibility training, the mobility training. We can always put in you know twenty minutes on any given day to address those issues. We we I'm hopeful that we don't compromise those. Then uh, two strength training days a week I think is plenty to to make progress in your strength training goals. And then one uh, metabolic conditioning, high intensity interval training day per week typically is, is more than adequate to, to make gains. So if you take a step back and now I'm talking about a typical week, but most of that week is committed to recovery, jump mobility, flexibility work. You pop in a couple strength days where your body's ready for that. And then you have one, what I call a peak performance day that all, everything you've done all week prepares you for that one peak performance day. And it's, position so that it never competes with your response readiness uh, as a firefighter. It only, it only supports your performance as a firefighter. Yeah. I love that. And that's, I had an idea where you would go with that. And I, I like that aspect of think of the intensity level of the, of the actual training session uh, in itself. And then the application during the week and the fact that we don't have to, we don't quote unquote have to train seven days a week, high intensity. We don't have to break down into individual muscle groups. And, and kind of my, my perspective on this is, you know, and, and I know, I know I can't speak for you, but I know you're probably in the, in the same wheelhouse is uh, on, on the fire ground, you know, you're not just doing biceps, you're not just doing calves, you're not just doing quads. And so how can we replicate that from a sequence standpoint? So doing more compound or multi-joint multi a multi-muscle group type of tasks and then even sequences of those and that could be either in the strength training session it could be in the high intensity session it could also be in the recovery session there are pl plenty of movements you can do where it's think of like flows and more mobility movement patterns and sequences that allow us to teach our body movement quality to be able to contract and stretch musculature or muscle groups in a rhythm in a pattern so i really like applying that versus hey we're doing a six day seven day training split we're going to because then you go into this wheelhouse of saying and i've seen it i've seen for i can't speak for myself but i've seen from observation will personnel will trash legs on monday or tuesday and then go into shift and I've been in, walked into those stations and they're like, my legs are just gone. They can barely walk. Yep. And so what does that do when you're walking into 
shift that day and your legs are smoked, right? Or, or your arms or whatever. I just, from a, from an example standpoint, I've seen it. And so, you know, there's ways to regulate that and take the volume away from just the legs, that training session and be able to uh, progress it into more full body uh, or a little bit better regimented to uh, cooperate with the actual occupational schedule. Yes. Yes. And that's where I just, again, I keep coming back to this whole idea of interval training, whether it's, you know, 20 seconds work, 10 seconds recovery, 30, 30, maybe, maybe you've got a whole four minute round where you're doing uh, you're you're kind of reducing the tempo of the work and over a longer period of time, but we can program in exercises that represent a whole wide variety of movement patterns in these different intervals. And we can control the intensity on any given day by the load that we use, by the tempo that we encourage, by the, the complexity of the exercise that we're doing. So there's, there's so many ways, if you take a step back and you're really being intentional about the programming, for one, to just be really efficient with your training. I mean, you could you could get in a very comprehensive and effective uh, workout in 30 minutes. You know, you do a, a five to 10 minute warm up, a 20 minute either moderate intensity or high intensity training session, and then a good comprehensive cool down. You could really get in and out of there in, in 30, 40 minutes versus, you know, doing the old school, you know, benching, lifting. I'm in the gym for two hours. It's just it gets to be where it's where it's tough to even do that as you get older. So all to say, there's just really efficient ways to program that are intentional in support of your firefighter uh, performance. And uh, again, it just kind of comes back to evaluating what the needs are for each target demographic and, and mapping it out uh, more specifically. All right. I didn't want to go too far into training programming, but I did want to just start off by kind of talking about training splits and how we um, just briefly touch the surface talking about programming because that does help drive exercise selection depending on your training split uh, yep. will, will help dictate what exercises you choose, right? And so um, let's, before we go that route, another piece that's going to help dictate exercise selection or at least how you modify those exercises is going to be uh, equipment selection. What equipment do you have available? But then what equipment could you invest in, um, whether inexpensive or expensive kind of on, on, a, uh, on a scale? And we can talk about that. So uh, Ryan, what kind of equipment, one, do you feel like is of utmost priority if you're going to do anything strength and conditioning or anything fitness um, and health related? And then what are some things that could be implemented down the road and just what experience do you have with various pieces of equipment to help personnel build their own strength and conditioning program? Yeah. And to me, this comes back to the three really broad categories that we alluded to. And again, acknowledging this is an over, oversimplification, but I think it's important to, to just segment some of this out. So if we look at, you know, tactical fitness and tactical fitness equipment, to me, that really means uh, you know, very simple tools, removing roadblock, common roadblocks for tactical operators, whether it's equipment, space, things of that nature. Uh, and, and as you know, we, we both do some work with Crackle Magazine. I've been doing 
uh, simple tools for your fire station gym series with Crackle Magazine, with the whole idea of just introducing some of these real basic tools to firefighters. They're they're inexpensive. They don't require uh, space to store or to use. Really, you can use them individually. Uh, as a crew or even in a recruit academy setting, uh, they really lend themselves to all of that. So examples include sandbags, uh, kettlebells, med balls, steel clubs, uh, TRX or gym ring suspension trainers. Uh, there's different sorts of parallel bars uh, out there, um, step boxes, Ba exercise bands, uh, and then on the recovery side, foam rolls, yoga mats. So, you know, I'm just going through a list of things in terms of equipment. And then now, this, as you look at those types of equipment, we can use each of those to apply load to different movement patterns that we know are, are really important for firefighters. So now we're taking pieces of equipment and we're assigning exercises to them. And then once we have the exercises in place and we talked about interval training, we can now plug the exercises into different workout programs in a way that is intentional for the goals that we've set. And then taking a step back, map that out over a 12 week period. Now you've got your whole program for your firefighters, whether it's in support of Recruit Academy, whether it's uh, the structure with the flexibility you need around shift work. Uh, there's a whole approach that you can take to really be intentional about your firefighter fitness programming with very simple tools. Yeah. And I think, uh, I know I can, uh, speak for myself on two parts of that. One is with one of the academies that I've mentioned with you about is we don't have any equipment other than out of commission uh hose line and yeah just body weight exercise right yep. so like having yep. to be super creative but then as i'm slowly and you've had to gone through this too as you slowly or take the initiative to build your own home gym or uh, invest in some equipment at the fire station you start getting pretty creative and pretty in uh, innovative of of the items you select for the storage you have, or maybe the storage you do not have. And then um, at just depending on the foundation, just so many uh, factors for that, but you start trying to assess what's the best bang for your buck and what is it actually used for? And the two concepts um, that help you kind of create your program is one, what's equipment how can you manipulate equipment and then how can you manipulate your body position talking about body weight movement to create resistance uh for instance some of the equipment you mentioned whether it's sandbags kettlebells different more resistance more load-based uh equipment you're manipulating the piece of equipment as you're going through movements versus um, uh, more suspension rings and, and so forth, where you're actually having to manip manipulate your body position. You're still utilizing the equipment, but you're manipulating body position to provide either a different type or a different intensity of resistance for that same muscular, um, muscle group, or even target a different muscle group, depending on how you, uh, position what your body position is during that task. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the beauty of it. Uh, and again, even coming back to a recruit academy, what do you have access to? If you have access to body weight only, you can build a very comprehensive physical training program using only body weight. 
Uh, or, and I know you've been really creative about using hose bundles uh, to do different things. Uh, you can absolutely do that. I've seen firefighters create uh, battle ropes with hose, uh, old hose lines. Uh, you can uh, hose bundles, hose rolls. There's all sorts of ways that you can use hose to create loading that is more than adequate in a recruit academy setting. So there really isn't any limit to, to how you can get the objective or how you can get to the objective. It's, it's just a matter of being intentional about how you're, you're programming it. So now that we've basically front loaded what we can prior to, and everything was pretty broad, right? Cause we'll, we'll probably follow up and, and, uh, uh, dive into each one of those segments, but giving a pretty basic overview, front loading uh, the concepts of exercise selection. Let's talk about beneficial exercises. Just talk about exercises, maybe some things you should include in your program, uh, maybe even things to consider before performing uh, certain tasks. There are plenty of things we see, and I know uh, I, I know social media is both a blessing and a curse, Yeah, but we see plenty of things where we go, Hey, that's really cool. That looks, that looks amazing. I need to do it. Right. Because it just looks cool. The person performing it. And I know for a fact, I never tried it before, never worked out in the past, but this, this is going to work. Right. So even the, the, the prereqs are kind of things to be aware of before jumping into uh, other exercises. So I guess kind of first, what are some exercises or your thought process on uh, what personnel should include into their training program? Yeah. So I think a great way to put all of this into very specific context is to look at the combat challenge. We're okay. all familiar with the combat challenge. You've got the high raise uh, hose pack carry. The movement pattern that we see there primarily is the lunge. Uh, you, you are loaded on one side. And so I love the weighted walking lunge as an exercise uh, to, to kind of prepare for that task. Now with that, that's a, a little bit, I would say a more advanced exercise. You've got locomotion, you're loaded. You can always scale that to make it more accessible to different athletes. You could do body weight only. That would be one way to uh, scale that down. Uh, and in my opinion, the most simple version of that of a lunge pattern is just your split squat with just body weight. So if you look at one movement pattern, the lunge, and you look at the ideal application and support of a task, which is in this case, the high rise hose pack carry, you're doing a weighted walking lunge with a sandbag or a club or however you want to load that. Um, and then you can create a very specific warm up for that, uh, a dynamic warm up exercise that primes your body for the lunge movement pattern. And then after your workout, you can deload that by bringing length back to the muscle tissue that was loaded in the training exercise. So that that's one task with one movement pattern and a, and a long list of exercises that are scalable to access that and then a warm up and a cool down. And again, the hose hoist. Horizontal pull, I love the kettlebell base stance row for that. The forcible entry, you've got your hinge. I uh, I think the med ball pullover slam is a is applicable for that. You've got your hose advance, which is really locomotion with a push. So if you've got a sled or a tire, that's a great way to, to access that movement. And then your victim rescue, that's a locomotion 
with, with really a pulling emphasis. Again, a sled or a tire is great for that. If you don't have access to that or if your space is limited, just a simple kettlebell swing really hits that posterior chain in a way that might prime your body for the victim rescue. So, you know, there's a, a lot there to, to consider, but if you really take a systematic approach to your exercise selection, starting with the task you're being asked to perform, the movement pattern that that falls into, and then an, an exercise that is accessible to the athlete with a warm up and a cool down, to me, really covers all your bases. Yeah, and I really liked when you talked about scaling the task itself or scaling the exercise, whether you're progressing or regressing it, trying to, um, you went from uh, even looking at the first task, we said a weighted lunge, right? And uh, whether that was offset where weight is on one side versus both, and then going, okay, maybe not with the weight itself. Okay, maybe not transitioning or having locomotion, right? You're kind of taking that scale back approach. Yep. And then even then, what is instead of a lunge or what instead of a split squat, if we, that's the, say the most simplest form of actually doing a lunging pattern it, to a degree, we can even regress it past that. But from a, let's say uh, something you might implement in the beginning, but regressing it past that is the ideology or the thought process of two limbs versus one or bilateral versus unilateral. And even when we talk about prereqs, you should be able to do a just a ordinary and or ordinary or traditional is a, a very general word thrown around, but a very um, traditional body squat, just no weights, two legs, just going through a body squat movement pattern and being efficient with that first before even going split squat or before even going uh, movement into an actual forward lunge or reverse lunge. Um, and then again, like you mentioned, make sure your stationary split squat is good before going, before adding locomotion, right? Before adding that transition. Yep. And then once that is good. And so setting those principles, okay, two limbs versus one good with two limbs. Okay. Let's go one limb. Okay. One limb is good. Stationary. Okay. Stationary is good. Let's either add locomotion or add load. And then off of that, you add one of them, make sure that's good. And then you can add, add to that. So it's those principles and you can add it to, you can implement those principles across the board to, to various tasks, but I like the fact how scaling it back down. And then that's the same way you scale it back up. Right. Um, on top of that. And this is just, uh, I was, I was writing, uh, I was writing an article earlier today in this past week, and it was talking about training and adding uh, instability to be able to increase and Im improve stability. And this thought process of we perform tasks one limb at a time, like we perform one arm is moving independently. Now they might cooperate, but independently from each other, or we perform tasks one leg at a time. We're never just hopping or, or, or jumping both legs at a time. It, whether it's in real life, like we walk one leg at a time, we sprint one leg at a time, we go upstairs one leg at a time. Why do we train just two at the exact same time, right? Like why do we ice or segment the legs together? Why do we uh, compound them together during our training and not go to unilateral training? Um, and that's just lower extremity example, but the same thing with the upper extremities with the, uh, with the arms is why can't we incorporate single limb movements and does that have a better 
correlation or carryover to job performance. Yeah. And again, uh, that's what's so great about using movement patterns in the exercise programming. So if, if you know that you're going to be lifting a gurney or, or lifting a piece of equipment off the ground that, that looks more like a squat or, or a, a hinge and a deadlift, then you can program that into your exercise program as well. And then the other thing that I really liked to do when teaching exercise and movement patterns and uh, is this whole idea of of good healthy biomechanics. So whether we're talking about a squat or we're talking about a split squat, a lunge pattern, we can still teach the athlete about body position, you know, the starting position, the finishing position and the proper movement in between and, and what common uh, deficits exist for folks and how to clean that up. We teach that in the gym. And then because we're programming movement patterns that are based on firefighting tasks, it is not at all elite to now communicate that same biomechanics to firefighting tasks specifically so that on the drill ground when folks are tired or they're in gear or wearing air packs, they're, they're not sacrificing their movement quality under any circumstance because they're, they're learning how to move properly in the, in the gym. So to expand, and I don't know if this is going so far off track, but we talked about exercise or we're talking about exercise selection and we talked about training programming and just training splits and whether it's full body or muscle groups or upper lower push pull legs but one thing i run a, a run into at least when when people ask me about their part they're like and i'm sure you have people write a program and then they show it to you and say tell me what you think right and i usually get a question of hey i'm wanting to do i don't know uh let's say someone who's maybe intermediate says i want to do power clean but I have a back day and a leg day and a shoulder day. Where does power clean fall into, right? So what is your thought process when we talk about exercise selection? How does that, and it goes full circle with what your program looks like and your training split looks like. So kind of, I guess, touch on full body movements and their significance, but kind of how that plays a huge factor on what your programming looks like or what, how often you train and what your training focus is. Yeah. So I think it's really important to think about the primary mover in any of these compound exercises. So even, even in a deadlift, you, you know, primary, you know, traditionally that might be considered a lower body exercise because it, you know, the legs slash hips are the primary movers, but you are still getting into the back and the posterior chain uh, as you as you incorporate the deadlift. So I think it, it's important to be intentional about considering the primary mover in your programming and in your periodization over a period of time, and then also building in recovery so that it, it, let's say let's say you did a deadlift on one day and then on the next training day you've got a more specific back whether it's pull-ups or ring rows or kettlebell rows, you know you're hitting your back or a pulling motion on that next training day. I feel like as long as you've identified your primary mover, first of all, and you've built in recovery between your training sessions and the big picture of your total program hits all of the movement patterns uh, sufficiently, uh, you're, I, I believe you're not going to 
uh, bump up against any overtraining. Uh, you're you're going to make progress in each of the movement patterns as you've uh, planned to do when you're intentional about your recovery and kind of the big picture of your programming. I like how you mentioned uh, looking at your prime movers and then how they contradict um, or do they, is there interference of what that next training session looks like? And um, what's interesting enough is we would think, and I treat deadlift one, it, it's a full body task, but it's more, if I'm going to do lower body, upper body, right? Like I'll designate it on a lower body day, but I always keep in mind, and this is one example of program. It's not the first program in the uh, best program in the world. You don't have to do this, but sometimes when I do upper lower, I might do uh, lower on Monday, uh, upper on Wednesday, and then lower on Friday and upper on Saturday. And the reason I do it that way versus upper, lower, upper, lower is that Friday, Saturday plays a huge role. And I want my lower body movements because I might do hinging movements, which is going to tax my back. It's going to tax my lower back. It's going to have a lot of, of lat incorporation. And so the last thing I want to do is upper body and really fry my back on Friday and then Saturday turn around, do hinging movements that relies on, you know, my erectors, my lower back right, and, and relies on that musculature. So I, I make sure just even those days, doesn't mean I take deadlifts out or hinges out, just how I'm strategizing. What does tomorrow look like? Or what does my next training session look like? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, again, I, again, I'm older. Uh, so my training was different than it did in my twenties. And because my focus is so really narrow on firefighters specifically in terms of how I think about exercise, I've re I, I exclusively in my programming really focus on movement patterns. I've, I've really moved away from body part programming. And when I, in doing so, in any periodized program, whether it's uh, a candidate prep for CPAT or a recruit academy or incumbent firefighter or admin firefighter, the approach is similar in terms of really emphasizing and focusing on movement patterns. And over the course of any training cycle, whether it's seven days or eight days or however that training cycle is put together, just making sure that based on goals, that the proper movement patterns are represented, that they're plugged into the programming in such a way that there's balance there and that there's not a lot of redundancy or competition in each training cycle, if that makes sense. So I really try to be intentional about avoiding, as you've said, you know, one exercise that maybe is going to inhibit or, or maybe not set someone up to be successful in that next training session, uh, based on the, on the movement pattern. And again, coming back to the idea for firefighters in particular, we, we have to program adequate recovery into the, into each training cycle. And we have to have the flexibility coming all the way back to where we started. If you do something on any given training day, and then you're set up to do something else on that next training day, and your legs are smoked or your back is smoked, and you just don't feel good about what's coming, man, take another training or take another uh, recovery day. Have the flexibility to pivot or make an adjustment so that when you do come in for your next training session that you're really optimized to, to do that. Multiple, multiple key points there. Um, the, the last one you said was, was great. And I think we fall into that line many times where we deter away from 
being able to throw in, oh, let's just do in another recovery day and another recovery day because we're sometimes we're afraid, well, we're just feeling lazy today. Here's another recovery day and here's it. So we try and hard set that, you know, we are training no matter what and just kind of keeps us in that loop. But we have to have that that approach, like you mentioned, and be responsible enough to say, well, I feel good. And I can train, even though I want to just sprinkle another recovery day there, I know I can train. And so, yes, getting after it when you feel good to go, when you're recovered, definitely train, but still having that ability and that flexibility to adjust your schedule. And then I really liked when you mentioned repetitive movements. And I I get this a lot, honestly, from those that, and, and I mentioned deadlifts. The reason I mentioned deadlifts is a lot of people are either very pro or very con deadlifts. That's, yeah. that, that's just why I mentioned that task, right? Yeah. And it's not just deadlifts. That's just what we associate to because that's the most, vis- what we can visibly see and in the moment know is irritating our back or irritating our hips. But if we can look at what a deadlift is, it's a lot of spinal loading and it's a hinging pattern. And when you look at your training, your exercise selection uh, selections in the week, and we go, okay, here's deadlifting my next day. Here's a lot of back squatting. Okay, my next training day. There's some deadlifting, but there's a lot of bent over rows. Okay, my next training day, right? You're just compacting. You're just compressing the, the mess out of your spine. And you're still, you're not giving your lower back a break. Yeah. And that's the, that's probably the number one thing I see out of everything is a lot of spinal loading and hinging movements, not just associated to deadlifts, but just across the board through the week where they're not allowing their back, their back to recover at all. Yeah. And that's where it's just so important to uh, map that out over a period of time and, and be uh, judicious with your exercise selection. So coming back to the combat challenge, right. And we just talk about, a, a few exercises. So, you know, the lunge pattern, uh, a base stance row, uh, a med ball pullover slam, the the sled push, and let's say a kettlebell swing. So without any real intention around how we distribute those exercises, they are all a little bit different and they all do uh, hit different movement patterns. And we, I believe we could arrange those in a, a, a periodized physical training program that really prevents that like just just simply by being intentional about where we place each exercise in any given training cycle yeah and like i said uh, and i like how you went back and said look back at the tasks look back at the job and then from there start making your exercise selection it's not just well i feel like i want to be good at overhead press just because it looks impressive and if i can press a lot of weight it you know it looks fine or bench pressing that's that's another one that uh obviously everyone loves to do um and had it might have some attributes might help build upper body strength pressing yep. strength yep. Uh, but how much carryover and and does that how how much carryover and does that assist with job tasks and and are there other tasks you could do instead or on a good day versus bad day, or could you modify the exercise in itself? And um, we can we can go on and on about modifications for exercises, but um, kind of going round, round circle and, and starting back at the top, 
if you could talk about exercise, specific exercises, right? Like you just mentioned, what are the top three to five exercises that everyone you feel like everyone should have in their training program, either at some point, yep. whether they need to build a foundation first of just body weight with two limbs, um, or if they're ready for them, what are a couple of exercises you feel like should be in every single training program? So I'm going to, I think we'll, we'll see if I get to five here, but uh, I just really love the lunge pattern for firefighters. And so there's so much that you can do with that uh, to make it accessible, either, either to regress it or to create progression to make it more challenging. So lunge would be one. Um, the goblet squat, I think is again, uh, very accessible. Coming back to your point about biomechanics and making sure that our athletes can can do a lunge, excuse me, a squat pattern that looks healthy. But uh, again, there's little tricks and things that we can do to support folks with that. So goblet squat. I like the uh, overhead, the one arm overhead press. Uh, I, I prefer the kettlebell for that. Um, I do think you have to be careful with overhead pressing just with shoulder health and some of that and, and maybe some pre-screening on that. But there's so much that we do as firefighters that's overhead. A any beam rays on a ladder, uh, uh, breaching ceiling, you're going to need to be overhead doing that. So uh, I like that. Uh, I really like, again, a single arm row, either a base stance row or a split stance row. And, and uh, so, so far, just in this conversation, we've hit the the lunge the squat the uh, uh pressing vertical and uh pulling horizontal in this case and then the last thing i'll throw in there uh, i do also like kettlebell swings it's it's a hinge pattern and and you can really control the load on that to again make it accessible to all of your athletes so with just those five exercises we're using simple tools first of all we're, we're adjusting either load or tempo or exercise complexity to make those exercises accessible. And we're teaching really great biomechanics to the athlete in the gym for these exercises. And we're translating that to very specific firefighting tasks so that when they're on the drill ground or in emergency response, they're remembering how to do those uh, movement patterns safely.